back of your sermon note sheet. If you didn't get one of those, you'll want to get one of those and learn to fill in the blanks. This helps you to remember. Because if you don't take notes like this, you'll only remember 10% of what you hear here today. But if you take notes, you might learn up to 20 to 25%. It stays with you. It's just a reality of life of being humans. I'm almost to 1 John. Just bear with me. Yeah, there it is. 1 John 3, 11 through 24. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or deed, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. Father, as we look into this, your precious eternal word, a word that speaks to us every time we open it and read it or hear it, that this is the voice of the eternal living God speaking to us to reveal truth to us, to guide us in the paths of righteousness so that God is glorified and the people of God are blessed and those who are lost in darkness can see the light and be brought into the light. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. A few days shortly before Christmas, Tigger hopped over to his buddy Eeyore's. He knocked on the door and Eeyore said, come in. And Tigger went in. And here's Eeyore standing by the Christmas tree, staring at this ornament on the tree. And he's just staring at it. Tigger says, hey, old buddy, why are you staring at that? Tigger says, it's a picture of the manger scene to tell us what Christmas is all about. God loving the world, demonstrating his grace by sending Jesus to be a savior from sin. <laughs> That's great, old buddy. But why do you keep staring at it? Well, after all, it's a Thomas Kincaid. So over the past five weeks, 
we've looked at the reminder of who and what Christmas is all about. We started with the prophet scandal to remind us that Jesus came to bring personal knowledge of God through his grace. The Bethlehem candle to remind us that Jesus was from the family line of David to become the king of Israel and the king of the world because he is the king of eternity. King of all kings, Lord over all lords. The shepherd's candle to remind us that Jesus is the good shepherd who came to seek those who were lost and reconcile them to God because he laid down his life for them. The angel's candle to remind us that Jesus came to be the Savior who delivers from bondage to sin. And Memorial Sunday, to remind us that Jesus came to bring eternal life, the life God promised before the world began. All of this stems from God's enormous love for the people of this world that he gave as one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We we see that the message of Christmas is giving. God gave his son. Jesus gave his life. That's why we give gifts at Christmas. To remember that genuine love is all about giving, forgiving, serving, and sharing. The message of Christmas is giving. God gave because he loved. He loves every person in the world enough to die for them but he stands in judgment against their sin and will condemn them. So you remain under the judgment of God until you respond to that love that he's demonstrated because God demonstrated his love toward us that even while we were still sinners, Christ, the Messiah, died for us. The message of Christmas is giving. The extended meaning of Christmas is forgiving. The extended meaning of Christmas is forgiving because of love. Love covers a multitude of sins and reconciles us to God. Because we have been forgiven by God, he wants us to explain that forgiveness to those who are not yet reconciled to God. That's what Dan preached about. The boldest, the boldest to share with someone else. Explain that forgiveness that God extends if you'll simply receive it. He wants us in our interpersonal relationships to extend that forgiveness to those who trespass against us, sin against us, are our debtors indebted to us because of offenses. We need to extend that same forgiveness that God extended to us. James 3, 13 to 19 reminds us of this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him demonstrate it by his good conduct, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter and jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast in it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disaster and every evil practice. The wisdom that is from above is first of all pure, peace-loving, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial 
and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap the fruit of righteousness. This reminds us that Jesus came to change the way you and I treat each other. And the way we treat our family, the way we treat our co-workers, the way we treat our uh, uh, people at the store. Some of the ladies at, uh, at Hannaford and after them, I walk in the other door and they say, here comes trouble. Because <laughs> I pick on them all the time. But they also know that I'm a minister. And many of them have asked me to pray for them. Jesus wants us to learn how we treat each other, to change the way we interact with one another, the way we learn how to truly love one another. Remember uh, Christmas Eve, we sang a song called O Holy Night? Verse 2, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Romans tells us love is the fulfilling of the law because love works no ill to its neighbor. And Jesus said to his disciples, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples in that you have genuine love one for another. You know, as you look around, I want all of you to look around. I want you to look around and see everybody that's here in this building. And those of you who are out there, you just keep looking at us too. I know you can't look at everybody else. It's online. But as you look around and see every person who is here, and we remember the ones that aren't here, God wants you to learn how to love them and interact with them, know them. You're our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're one family. Praise the Lord. We are the family of God. D.L. Moody said, the Bible wasn't given to us to merely increase our knowledge, but to change the way we live. So we, each of us needs to ask ourselves, how am I changing in the way I live in response to what I learned from the Word of God? How am I changing in the way I interact uh, with others who confess Jesus as Lord. So a lot of you, you know, you know Ken Sloan over here, right? You tell Ken, I love you. And what's Ken's response? I love you more. I love you more. Good man there, praise God. Second Corinthians 3, we read these words. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord are being transformed into his image with intensifying glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord. How much of the glory of the Lord is reflecting from you? to yourself, to each other, to your neighbors, your friends. Because as we, with unveiled face, present ourselves before God on a daily basis, to seek his face, seek to know and do his will, seek to follow his path of righteousness, seek to honor him. When we behold the glory of the Lord, 
we are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Because it's God's intended purpose that every person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ goes through the process of life and trials so that you're changed from the glory of a mere human, reflecting the glory of God as a person who's filled with the Spirit of God, measuring up to the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we're in that transforming process. And it comes from the hand of God. Each of us needs to ask ourselves, where am I in this transformational process? How much of the glory of the Lord is being seen in my life, in me as a person? So we are to love as God loved, walk in humility as Jesus did, forgive as God forgave us, reconcile with others as God reconciled us to himself, restore as God restored, and bless as God blessed. Hebrews 10.24 gives us this challenge. Let us fully think through how to stir up one another to love and good works. Oh, we can stir each other up real easy, can't we? <laughs> but how do we stir each other to love and good works? And good old King James, you know, uses the word provoke. We don't like that word, do we? Who wants to be provoked? As a farmer, you have to provoke the cows to move along and get in the barn. You have to have a prod. You provoke them. But God, in the same way, wants us, in a loving way, encourage and challenge each other to grow in this love, this genuine, God-like love. First John 3, verses 11 to 15 show us, we should... Love one another. It's God's intended purpose. Two major things that God's trying to develop into our lives. Number one, genuine God-like love. Number two, perseverance. Romans 5, 1 to 3. That we grow through these trials and rejoice in hope of the glory of God and produce persevering character. The ability to hang in there, whatever's going on in life, you hang on to the promise of God and the person of Jesus Christ, believing him, trusting him, and not yourself. We should love one another because it's the message we heard from the beginning. When Jesus began the beginning, we're to love one another because it removes hatred and murder from our hearts. Because the world hates those who are righteous. Because it reassures us that we have passed out of death into life. Learning to grow in this love reassures us that we have passed out of the realm of the control of death and sin. And we're transferred into the light of God's dear kingdom, the light of his dear son, to walk in truth. Passed out of death into life. Jesus said in John 5, 24, Truly, truly I say unto you, Whoever hears my word and believes on him who sent me possesses everlasting life and will not come into the judgment because they have passed out of death into life. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Failure to learn love 
reveals that you remain in death. If you're resistant to learn how to genuinely love another person, and uh, how do you learn genuine love? The interaction. It's like uh, polishing of stones. My mother-in-law had a little stone polisher, and she loved this thing of taking raw gems, putting them in that tumbler with the abrasive, and then the abrasive turns and turns and turns, day in and day out, spinning day and night. And after a few weeks, you shut it down, you open it out, bring out these beautiful polished gems that were rough, crude rocks when you put them in there. That's what's going on in our interactions with each other. We rub each other. Yeah, ever notice how somebody just rubs you the wrong way? <laughs> well, guess what? You probably rubbed them the wrong way too. But that's how those rubbing back and forth in our interpersonal relationships changes us to respond in love the way God loved us. Because remaining in hatred reveals no assurance of eternal life. If you continue in hatred in your heart for another person who's in Christ, uh, that might be a telltale sign. You really don't have eternal life abiding in you. You need, you need to search yourself. 1 John 3, 16a, Jesus' example of what genuine love is. He laid down his life for us. Philippians 2, let this kind of thinking be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in form as God, thought that equality with God was not something he had to grasp onto or couldn't let go of. But he let go of it. He laid it aside, made himself nothing, became a servant, came into a human body. That's why we celebrate Christmas taking on the form of a human being, in that he humbled himself, became obedient even unto death on a cross, setting the example for us that we should lay down our lives for every other person in the body of Christ, just as he laid down his life for us. 1 John three sixteen and 17, how we follow Jesus' example we ought to lay down our lives for his brothers. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did for us. He wants us to learn how do we do that. How can we lay down our life? When God's love abides in you, you have compassion for others in need. And you give what you can to help fill that need. And that's part of loving your neighbor as yourself. 1 John 3, 18, 24. Godlike love is not mere words, but is demonstrated in action and truth. Ed Steiner used to say, how can you tell me you love me and you don't spend time with me to find out what's going on with me? That's very, very poignant. How do you know? How can you say you love someone? If you're not really interested in them what's going on with them, how you can pray for them, how you can encourage them, how you can uh, spur them on to love and good deeds. Godlike love is giving to others, spending time with others, 
submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Watch this one. Speaking the truth in love so that it encourages spiritual maturity. That's a big one. How can we speak the truth in love that encourages spiritual maturity and growth? We're told to do nothing out of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is personal preference and prominence. Do nothing out of empty pride, which is self-centeredness. Philippians 2.3, in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. So we look around at each other, you know, um, esteem each other as more important than yourself. That's the attitude God wants. Jesus said this, he that wants to be the greatest among you must become servant to all. We should be fighting to be the best among us. Serving each other, serving the whole body, serving everyone. Because we're told in Ephesians, serve one another out of love. How can we serve each other? What's the number one way you can serve every other person in this body? What? Pray. Pray. I took our church directory. And I've made a list in my computer of every single person in our directory. Our missionaries, retired and active. Two other churches that I've been serving. Friends and family. I pray for them. Every day. That's part of my job description, you know. Pray for the congregation. That's part of my job. I love my job. I get to pray for you every day. And you pay me to do it. Praise the Lord. What could be better? You know, we should be doing the same. That's the number one way, the power of prayer. And humbling ourselves, because humility is the power of the church in action. Someone has said that humility is meekness. And someone has said meekness is weakness. If you think meekness is weakness... Try being meek for a week. God's like love is not just mere words, giving to others, spending to others. When a person becomes born of the Spirit, the Spirit of God unites us to all other believers in Jesus as one family. Just as Pastor Mitch reminded us last week in our memorial remembrance. We, in acknowledgement of the Spirit placing us in the body of Christ, we respond and unite ourselves to a local assembly of believers. And we stay there until the Lord gives us by conviction to leave. Or our employment moves us and God moves us around. God's intention for a church is to have a place that demonstrates how individuals come to know God personally by trusting in his Savior, Jesus, who is the Messiah. And the church is to show how people grow in trusting their good shepherd and not themselves. Because the people without God, 
trust in themselves and their knowledge and maybe the system that's around them. But God, here, 2020, has given us 2020 vision as to how to really trust our good shepherd. Amen? God's intended thing for the purpose of the church is to have a place where the people grow in grace and personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how they truly grow in loving God, loving the people around them, helping us all know and follow Jesus. Max Cato's book, Glory Days, he shares about a group of churches that had a group do a study of how churches grow. This group was a secular group who was the best at doing studies like this. And so they studied around a thousand churches. This was their conclusion. Nothing has greater impact on spiritual growth than reflection on Scripture. If churches could do only one thing to help people at all levels of spiritual maturity grow in their relationship with Christ, their choice is clear. They would inspire encourage and equip their people to read the Bible. Your spiritual growth will be commensurate with the time you spend reading the Bible, memorizing it, and most of all, practicing what it teaches. That's why we exist as a church, to share the Word of God, to share the Scriptures, to share the truth, to help us all come to love God, love one another, and help us all know and follow Jesus. This is not the warm, gushy, ooey love that people often think of, but this is genuine, God-like love, love shown to us at Christmas and Easter. It's a love of giving and forgiving. Genuine God-like love means that each of us accounts each other more important than ourselves. God-like love means that each of us submits to one another out of reverence for Christ. So how do you submit to one another? Say, what do you think about that? And listen to what they have to say. Be surprised how much you can learn by asking someone else, as what do they think about that? Each of us speaks the truth and love to encourage personal and corporate growth. Each of us does not lift up a false accusation or a slander or a gossip against another person. The best way to avoid this is to only speak things that builds another person up until we all measure up to the stature of the fullness of Christ. You may have seen the, the commercials on TV of the children with their back against the wall and they got a mark over top of their head to chart their growth. My grandmother had one of those on her kitchen wall where he stepped out of the entry foyer into her kitchen. And all of us kids are on there with a date and a mark and a name. And there's lines going down here way up the door. My older brother topped us all, six foot four. I'm the runt. We need to measure up to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Each of us learns and lives as much scripture as possible. 
Each of us seasons our speech with grace so that what we say ministers grace to those who hear. Each of us accepts one another as equals, not for the purpose of debating uh, doubtful or disputable opinions, but to receive each other in spiritual maturity as equals, walking in the presence of God, desiring God. Each of us maintains a reconciled relationship one with another. It falls on us. If we find that our brother or sister has something against us, it's on us to go and try to make that right with them. Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. Each of us submits to and seeks the Lord first and foremost in everything we think, say and do, or plan to do. That's what genuine love is like. 